Hi, this is David Matten and you're listening to the audio version of New World Same Humans number 38, published on the 18th of October 2020. You can find the links included in this instalment and a link to the text version on the New World Same Humans article page where this podcast is embedded. So, let's go. What do we owe future generations? That's the short yet vastly complex question at the heart of this week's New World Same Humans. An increasingly influential idea holds that for centuries, those of us in the global north have been stealing value, resources and peace from the future, and that now it's time to start giving it back. Before we start, a reminder that this week saw the launch of the New World Same Human Slack community. A few days in, we're already assembling an amazing group from all over the world. Find out more and get a link to join in the email where this podcast is embedded. But first, this essay, which is called Decolonizing the Future. Last month, capitalism quietly took a big step forward. Or at least, that's how we may come to see it in time. In September, the long-term stock exchange opened for trading in the US. It's the invention of Eric Ries, a US entrepreneur most famous as the author of The Lean Startup. Ries first floated the idea for the LTSE in that book. To list on the new exchange, Companies must meet five standards in relation to their long-term impact, including tying executive pay to long-term metrics. The idea is to incentivize CEOs and investors to take the long view. What's more, the LTSE wants that thinking to extend beyond profit and shareholder value. Companies who list on the exchange must also establish metrics around their employees, society and the planet. In this way, the LTSE taps into an emerging consensus around the need to reform capitalism. Last year, the influential Business Roundtable group, which includes megacorps such as GM, Johnson & Johnson and Apple launched a new mission statement in which it said businesses must seek profits and positive impact. To be clear, that's the apex predators of corporate America saying there's more to life than shareholder value. Meanwhile, the World Economic Forum, not renowned as a bastion of radical thinking, started talking about stakeholder capitalism. Rees hopes that the LTSE will eventually dethrone its cousin, the New York Stock Exchange, and become the primary US stock market. If we're going to have capitalism 2.0, he says, it's going to need a capital market to be listed on. The emerging consensus around capitalism, though, is ultimately informed by an underlying and increasingly influential idea. That is that we in the affluent world are addicted to the short term and that this addiction is at the heart of much that is wrong with our system. When it comes to capitalism, our short termism manifests as an inability among corporate leaders to think beyond the next quarterly earnings report. But the problem runs even deeper than capitalism. As the scientist and existential risk expert Martin Rees has pointed out, when it comes to dealing with long-term shared challenges, including those that pose a threat to the survival of our species, 
liberal democracies are bedeviled by a massive flaw. Our politicians are incentivized to think to the next election and not much further. In consequence, policies likely to prove unpopular or painful today, but positive in the long term, such as, say, raising taxes on carbon, tend to get postponed to a tomorrow that never comes. It's common to observe that the global north was built on an extractive relationship to the physical environment. Since the Industrial Revolution, affluent nations have relentlessly sought out and colonised new frontiers, used the resources they found and generated waste products with little regard for the damages they did. Now, some argue that the Global North's relationship to the future is best understood in the same way. For hundreds of years, we've treated the future as another frontier, one from which we can extract value and burden with damages, with no regard for the future generations who will be its inhabitants. We have, in short, colonised the future, and now it's time to start giving it back. Up until recently, it's been easy enough to push all of this out of our collective consciousness, but no longer, because now, in the form of human-made global heating, we face a collective challenge that can't be ignored. And if we don't change the path we're on, our descendants in three or four generations' time will face catastrophe. For the last few years, I've been haunted by a kind of science fiction-inflected thought experiment. I imagine that in the middle of the English countryside, a giant floating light appears. Then the light parts in the middle like a curtain, and hundreds of people begin to emerge from it. The hundreds turn into thousands, and then millions. These are people from the future. They have mastered the technology necessary for travel back in time, and they are here to take refuge from the world in which they live, a world 200 years hence, and one made unlivable by global heating. They despise us for leaving them a ruined planet and an unlivable home, so they have decided to take ours. Sure, my weird thought experiment is unlikely to be realised. It's really a way of making tangible questions around intergenerational justice. The experiment helps us ask, what would we do differently if the people of 200 years hence could reach through time to make our lives worse the way we can do and are doing with them? In other words, what do we owe future generations? Some philosophers are troubled by the idea of a moral obligation to future generations. How, they ask, can such an obligation exist between us and people who do not exist? Such scruples, though, are rarely found among the wider public, who time and again strongly approve of sentiments that express a moral obligation to those yet to be born, Politicians in advanced democracies even invoke such obligations often. Here in the UK, for example, our Prime Minister has said we owe it to future generations to build a better society in the wake of the pandemic. The idea that we are tied ethically to those yet to be born is a moral intuition that is widely shared, even if it is hard to explain. 
So it's not that we don't care about our descendants. And it's not as though we don't know how to minimise the harms we're doing to them and the environment they'll live in. It's just that change is hard. To decolonize the future, then, we need new incentives which push us to change. That's exactly what the long-term stock exchange seeks to establish when it comes to the way we do capitalism. But what about the even broader picture? The challenge posed by global heating demands we rewire our democracies away from the election cycle and around the long view. Can it be done? In a recent book called The Good Ancestor, philosopher Roman Krisnerik wonders on these questions and he floats an intriguing solution. We should consider a return to the kind of direct democracy practiced in ancient Athens. That means replacing our system of elected representatives with one based on randomly selected citizen councils. People would serve on the council in the same way they do jury service, and once their term was finished, they'd go back to their ordinary lives. With no need to worry about the next election, the councillors would be free to follow their moral intuitions when it comes to future generations. Proponents of the idea say meaningful action on climate change and other long-term challenges would follow. Now, some are experimenting with this in practice. In Japan, the economist professor Tatsuyoshi Seijo is the creator of a new policy-making movement called Future Design. He has been holding citizen assemblies in municipalities across Japan in which some participants play the role of the citizens of 2060. They even wear special robes to denote their futuristic status. Evidence is growing, says Professor Seijo, that such councils do result in a different kind of decision-making when it comes to the long-term future. He points to one future design council, which saw residents reverse a decision to cut water rates and agree instead to put them up in order to help protect the water supply for future generations. If you think it's unlikely that a citizen council will replace your elected government anytime soon, that's more than understandable. On the other hand, Professor Sejo's future design method opens a path for such councils to work alongside traditional government. Meanwhile, keep your mind open. After all, in 2020, and for a host of reasons, representative liberal democracy is enduring a turbulent time. I think that fueling much of that turbulence is a growing crisis when it comes to the very idea of representation. In the age of Twitter and Instagram, and when any last vestige of deference to traditional social elites has long since died, the idea that a few important people get to speak on behalf of all the rest of us is becoming harder for many to accept. We are becoming, then, representative democracies that can't stand the idea of representation. Seen in that context, the idea that direct democracy might make a comeback doesn't seem so outlandish. Either way, it's clear we must cultivate in our democracies a new ability to take the long view of our shared future, and that when it comes to this challenge, we are the answer we seek. What we need, then, is a system that does not inhibit that answer. 
one that is that does not suffocate a near universal and powerfully felt moral imperative when it comes to the future, that this world is not ours, rather we are only passing through it, and as such we have a moral obligation to future generations to tread lightly. The future is now. Thanks for listening this week. When it comes to New World Same Humans, this week the future finally arrived. I mean, of course, the arrival of the long-promised New World Same Humans Slack group. A few days in, we've already assembled a fascinating, eclectic and high-achieving group. They include successful founders, senior insight professionals, service designers, marketers, AI researchers, strategists and more. If you haven't yet joined come inside. You can find a link to join the Slack group on the article page where this podcast is embedded. And if you know others, a friend, family member or colleague who'd also find our group useful, just forward the email to them with a prompt to sign up to the newsletter. When they do, they'll receive a welcome email with a link to the Slack or share New World Same Humans across one of your social networks and let people know why you find the newsletter valuable. All you have to do is navigate back to the article page where this podcast is embedded and hit the share button. Your membership of our community is valued. I hope to see you in the Slack next week. I will be back on Wednesday. Until then, be well.